we have, over the past year and a half, been considering the topic of focusing on the Christ. And as we have considered focusing on Christ, quickly here, we have gone through many different phases and different um, sub-series. We have looked at the shadow of Christ, considering the Old Testament and what it declared concerning the coming of Christ, His nature and, and what it would be. And then we transitioned into the life of Christ, considering uh, His growing up years and His, his ministry. And then into His uh, death, burial, resurrection, the return then of Christ, we considered as well, both um, of, of what Christ has declared re- regarding that, but then transitioning into His reign, the reign of Christ, and looking at not only the physical millennial reign that's going to come in the future, but also we looked at that spiritual reign of Christ and how He's supposed to be reigning in our, our hearts. And then we transition then into the reflection of Christ, considering that when Christ is residing and reigning in our hearts, it will be reflected in our lives. And so that how what we say and how we live will be a reflection of who or what is living in our heart. And so therefore... <clears throat> If Jesus Christ is living in my heart, if He's reigning in my heart, then my life is going to bear witness to that. We've looked at, during that time, our speech. We looked at our, our how we handled our money. And then we looked at our relationships over the last uh, month and a half. We considered the, the relationship of the husband and a wife. We considered the relationship um, of the, the, the parents and the child. And then last week, we considered the relationship between employees and employers. But the Word of God goes beyond even that individual reflection then, and it talks about a collective reflection that we have as the the, the call, group of called out ones, the church. The, the Greek word for the word church is ekklesia, which it c- comes from kaleo, means to call, and ek means out from, and so we are the group that is called out from the world, that, so that collectively together we have one thing in common, um, some of us may have known each other apart from Jesus Christ, but for the most part, as I look around, the only reason that any of us, for the most part, know each other, I mean, George and Phyllis moved in be- on the neighbor, uh, the street behind us, so we might have run into them or their dog at, at some point while we were walking. But apart from knowing Jesus Christ and being together in a local assembly, we probably wouldn't have known them. In the same way with many of you, I look around how the distance we live apart from each other, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, and it wasn't for a union that we have in His Word, we would not have this, this, this oneness, this koinonia, which we'll talk about in these weeks and months to come. Um, the word koinonia is the word we use a lot of times for communion or fellowship. In the Greek, the, the best translation I could give you is the word that we have in English called camaraderie. And camaraderie is what it, we think about with the... Um, the um, the Three Musketeers, and I have failed to mention the fact, Toddler Church. So, ages two to five, if you want your children to be to go back with Toddler Church, um, that is being offered back there. But camaraderie, when we think of um, camaraderie, you think of the Three Musketeers in their comment, all for one and one for one for all. And so, as we then, as a body, as uh, as a as a collective union of individuals who are seeking to reflect Christ, as we come together then, our individual reflections should coming together should bear witness collectively to the world, to our community, that there's something different about this gathering than there is about any other gathering. Now, Jesus, um, speaking through his apostles and prophets as we read this morning, being the chief cornerstone, 
used three different illustrations in his word, um, God speaking through Paul, um, regarding the church. First, he used the illustration of a building. Okay, He used the illustration of a bride, and he also used the illustration as a body. And in those, he gave us some, some indicators of what the body ought to be and how it ought to function. We want to look at those illustrations over the next couple weeks, and then after that, we're going to look, after we look at the illustrations, we're going to be looking at the interactions of the body. And in the interactions of the body, we're going to be considering a lot of the one another passages um, that are there as well in the New Testament. A lot of that's going to be practical. A lot of that's going to be stepping on my toes and your toes and how we're supposed to be functioning one together as, as a body of Christ and, um, and what we're supposed to be doing. So today, I want to look at that first one, and that is the building, the building of Christ. And we, we saw in Ephesians 2, and we'll look back at that in a moment, um, when we read this morning in our Bible reading, how we're called the building. But first I want to look at, beginning at 1 Corinthians 3, and we're going to look at three passages here. We're going to read them, and then we'll come back and we're going to um, look at some points from, from each of them. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 9, we read, and I'm, I'm in 2 Corinthians, I'm looking down saying, this is not what I remember I'm going to speak on. Okay? We are, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 3, we are, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation, that is Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? In that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Ephesians 2, we read earlier, but we want to read just four of those verses. So turn back to Ephesians 2, and we want to highlight again verses 19 to 22 in that passage. In beginning verse 19 of Ephesians 2, it says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And finally, one more passage we want to look at before we start looking at these points is 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 4 and 5. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, Coming to him, that is Christ, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In each of these passages that we looked at, we are given the illustration that we are, um, as a body, 
if you would. And I'm using the term body because I'm, I'm, that's the term I'm familiar with, but we'll use that illustration in a few weeks from now. But as a church, as a group of called out ones, that God has brought us together to be a, a building. But um, not just any building, but a special building. A special building that, that has a special foundation. And the foundation of this building is, is the Word. Now, you say, the Word? I'm not sure I, how you, what we read there. Well, remember, in each of these passages, it said, one of the passages, it refers to the fact that we are built upon, Ephesians 2 says, we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That the foundation of the church is the apostles and prophets. Well, what is the apostles and prophets? It's the scriptures. It's the, it's the scriptures that we read. And so the scripture itself ought to be the foundation for when we gather together. If you consider us as we gather together, a group of called out ones, as a building, then the, the concrete foundation that's underneath us that we are to be built upon is the word of God, is his scriptures. I can tell you from growing up, okay, where I went to church, and from other testimonials I heard, now praise God that you know I got saved when I was 23, and, and honestly my, my experience has been quite limited from that point. I praise the Lord from where I got saved at. But from many things that I hear from many other people, there are a lot of assemblies who this isn't the foundation of the gathering. It's not the reason that they come together. It's to, to study God's word and to understand what God would have for them. But rather they come together for a feel-good, whether it's for music, whether it's for a, 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 just a, a punch in the arm, a slap in the back, whatever it is, that it's not to really hear the word of God. And as we talked in Sunday school from the book of Nehemiah, that as Ezra stood on the platform and he opened up the word, the people were filled with this great awe of the moment. And they stood. They didn't have to be told to, stood, to stand. They didn't have to stand, be told that they need to reverence God's word. But when, when Ezra opened that word, the people were filled with an awe. It's the foundation of everything we believe. And it should be the foundation of everything that we do. In years past, it would have been called in Latin, and you know, the theological realm, they like to use all those Latin words, sola scriptura, scripture alone. It is the foundation for faith and practice. Everything we believe, everything we do, should be based upon the Word of God. Now, in the Shema, does anybody know what the Shema is? Okay, Don, what's the Shema? Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9 is the Shema. Good. And, and, and Shema is the Hebrew word to hear. It says, so Shema Israel, Elohenu, Elonai, Elohenu, Echad. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in your house, or whether you're walking in the way, whether you're lying down, or whether you're sitting up. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hands, and you shall write them. Um, and you, sh- oh, I'm sorry, you shall write, put them as a sign upon your hands. You shall put them as a, as a um, frontlet. Thank you, a frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That the word of God, that Moses, even there. Now think about it. The children of Israel, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. They didn't have the Bible. 
you know, they couldn't just say, you know, if, if and I say, okay, everybody, you know, raise up the Word of God, you know, and you could all take the Bible and raise it up. In fact, if we were meeting at your house, you might have multiple. And if I look over at Norman, he's got a bunch of them sitting there, you know, with his presentation, you know. I mean, we have the Word of God. We have it, it was so much that we fight about translations. And I always just think, golly, I mean, in other parts of the world, they'd love to have the Word. And here we are debating over what translation we're, we're worrying about somebody's using because maybe they can't get saved just as good as somebody else could get saved in this translation. Anyways, whatever. Sorry, that's a pet peeve. Um, and so it's the word. It's the word. It's the word. Well, they didn't have the word in their homes back then. But Moses told them, you, after loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he said, in the words which I teach you this day shall be in your heart. You should be memorizing it as I'm teaching you. Isn't that incredible, huh? I mean, we do four or five verses a month, and some of us struggle at memorizing four or five verses a month. And Moses is saying, what I'm declaring to you this day should be in your hearts such that you can teach it diligently to your children, repetitively to your children, whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down. It should be the foundation of your homes. It should be the foundation of our community. It should be the foundation of our nation, is what he's declaring to them. That everything that I do, I put my hand to, everything that I think about, everything that goes on in my home and in my property, ought to be governed by the Word of God. Well, they didn't have the Bible to sit there and say, oh, I guess I need to study to find out whether I can do this or not. It was supposed to be inculcated within them. They ought to have known it. They were to be like salt and light. Sounds familiar? Jesus is teaching. In the world and in the, in the Gentile nations that were about them. And so David said, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. As a whole, and I'm going outside of Family Bible Church, because we are a part of a greater body as well, a greater gathering that goes by the name of Christ. We as a people have neglected his word. And we have allowed the rudiment principles of this world to become foundations for our churches. We begin to use business practices. We begin to use business philosophies. So how to draw a crowd. You know, if you want to get fish to jump into the aquarium, you got to build a fancier aquarium. I've never really seen fish jump into my aquarium. We usually have to go to Bob's, and they usually have to get a net to, to drag them out of that one, stick them in a bag, and then we pack them in the bag back to our house and throw them in. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't it? Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you great businessmen. You will be great salespeople. You'll be able to get them to come. They'll come from all over the place. You build it, they'll come. Well, it wasn't Jesus, was it? He didn't say that one. That was some other uh, positive reinforcement guy. So anyways, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. In other words, just like in order to catch a fish, you've got to go to the lake in order to catch a fish, i.e. an unbeliever, you've got to go where the unbelievers are. Anyways, it's all based upon what? The Word of God. So as we gather together, our foundation is the scripture, the word of God. But we know that though this is the written word, there is the living word. And who is the living word? Jesus Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said, For no other foundation can anyone lay that, than that which is laid, and that is Jesus Christ. So the word of God, written, has all the teachings for us in faith and practice. But it's the word of God, the living word of God, Jesus Christ, 
who is the foundation for everyone us coming together. Again, as I said before, there would be no other reason for us to gather together if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his written revelation that he's given to us. And I hope and I pray that it is right now and it always shall be the driving force, the foundation for this little local body, if not the greater local body, gathering together. That we're not gathering together for any other reason but the foundation being Jesus Christ in his written revelation to us. So that we can worship and magnify him, and we'll see in a moment purposes, okay, toward the end of the message. But to glorify him for who he is and what he's done, and to reveal him to the world. So the foundation of the building is the word of God, both that which is written and that which is living, Jesus Christ. What's the nature? The nature of the building. What what do we read that the building is made up of, if you would? The com- composition maybe might have been a better word there. Well, the building clearly is made up of believers. 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 Okay? We'll get to the stones in just a moment. Okay? But we know that the, of the illustration that we as believers are the living stones. Jesus is the living stone. And we as living stones are being brought together to build this building up. Okay? And being built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. But that we then are being brought together in that. Now, I praise the Lord um, for the work that he's allowed me, enabled me to do over these past years. Again, if you look, you know, 20 years ago, if you'd asked me if I'd been doing remodels and, and, and refurbishings and, and, and that kind of stuff and putting in ceramic tile showers, I'd say, you got, you're nuts. I mean, I don't know how to do any of that kind of stuff. But now it's so neat because, you know, when uh, Jesus was the son of a, in the Greek it's technon, um, and he was actually, if you were had a carpenter, and this is the same in the, in the Hebrew as it is coming into the Greek, okay, that there is no word for carpenter. Rather, he would be a technon of wood. A mason is a technon of lithos or stone, okay? And so technically, in the Greek, I, I, I saw this years ago, I was kind of struggling, and, you know, I was kind of over, you know, I want to be full-time and that kind of stuff, and, and, and I was translating um, some of the word, and I ran, and I was probably someplace where I was going to be doing a Christmas message or whatever, anyways, and I was translating a passage, and, and it was talking about Jesus being the son of a technon, and I started studying the term technon, and I realized, now Joseph might have been a carpenter, okay, but technically he was the son of a craftsman, a craftsman, a handyman, a craftsman is what that word means. And um, not necessarily told that he was a craftsman of wood or a craftsman of stone. He was a craftsman. Potentially, he did it all. And I thought to myself, what an awesome term, because who is God? He is the ultimate craftsman, isn't he? He's the creator. I mean, he God clearly can work with wood and stone and, and all these other things. You know, we marvel at, at some of the work that some of these guys can do with things and Look at yourself. Look in the mirror. And think of the craftsmanship that goes into us to take just lumps of dirt and, and, and cause light to pass through it. I know it's more than just dirt. It's the water with it and da-da-da-da. And light passes through it. How do you get light to pass through dirt? Anyways, and such that it reflects off upside down off of a retinal thing, a bobber thing, and anyways, 
to something else, to some kind of a screen that's inside your brain, and 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 it inverts it so that you I'm, so I see you right side up, even though that somewhere along going through my eyeball. And Steve, I could have you come up and you give me better illustrations here, but but I know it's flipped around a couple different times and huh? We need Steve. Anyways, praise God for doctors who understand all this stuff. Anyways, it's a marvel to me. I mean, the fact that I'm even moving both my arms at the same time and not, they're not flailing, that they're actually functioning. God designed, and we'll talk about all this more when we get into the body. But a building is the same. And so this work that I've done has really enabled me to be really to be excited about this concept of being a building. You know, when we do a lot of work that we do, we use a lot of different material. I mean, just doing... The remodel that we're working on right now, okay? We've had to use the drywall and the joint compound, the screws, um, wood. We're going to be using ceramic tile, hardy backer, of course, then. They got wood rot, so we're going to have to use plywood and cut it all out. We're going to be installing cabinets. There's going to be solid surface countertops, and yada, yada, although I won't do that. I'll have them hire somebody else to do that. But, anyways, you got all these things that are going on into a building. It's not just the stones. A lot of times when we think of the building, we think of the outside. So let's start there for just a moment, okay? And, and, and think about what this building is all about. And that there could be stones, there could be wood, there could be screws, there could be this, there could be that. All those things are what? They're different. Would you agree with me that there's a difference between a brick and a 2x4? And a, and a, and a you know, one's a little bit easier to carry, isn't it? I'd rather carry, you know, a couple bricks than a couple 2x4s. No, 2x4s maybe equally as weighty or whatever, it's just kind of a little bit kind of rough to, to carry around. Especially, how many of you like to carry the beams around, you know, that, that go across the, the, the house for the, for the roof and stuff? That'd be, that's kind of difficult. We're glad we have cranes nowadays, don't we? Well, we are told in, the, in, in God's Word that we are being fitted together. Fitted together. Ephesians chapter 2 from the whole body is being fitted together. Now, we have a brick facade on this building. I used to think growing up that the house was made out of brick. And then I started into this kind of line of work, and I realized it's really called a brick facade. What does that mean? It's fake. I mean, it's just it's a front. It's not there. But years ago, when you said that houses were made out of brick, they really were made out of brick, and the timbers then would rest upon the, the brick. So go there in your mind and think about it. Don't think about just a facade, which is you know not necessarily... Um, important to the structure, but go back into the days it was. When you came up and you saw the bricks here, how are the bricks? How do they, how do they look on the outside? Are they kind of, and I meant to, and I forgot, and I, I meant to bring in all those bricks from the, the, the nursery area, and so I could do some illustrations here. Are they stacked up, like straight up, like this? They're not, are they? They're what? They're interlaced. They're interlocked. Intertwined, interlocked. Okay, and, and not only are they just laid like this, but rather there's something other than bricks in that wall as well. What is it? It's mortar. Mortar. Now, we'll come back to the mortar in just a moment, okay? But what happens when you have bricks of a lot of different sizes? You have to either knock some off, or you need to... to to put more mortar. The point is that they don't interlock very well. It's In the end, it's not as strong. 
The reason that we interlock those bricks as we do is because it makes a strong building, a strong structure. You don't put them straight up because if you tip it, now get rid of the mortar, okay? Get rid of the mortar. So we're not talking about the mortar holding it together right now. I'm just talking about stones, okay? Bricks without mortar, okay? If I make them stacking straight up in individual columns and I have them right next to each other, what happens when I push on one of the columns? It's dominoes. That's exactly right. It's going to go over. But what happens when I have those stones interlocked, fitted together so there's no gaps? What happens with the strength? It increases greatly. And now I have to come against it if I want to knock that over without the mortar and stuff being there. I have to, I have to hit it with a much greater force to be able to do that. God has taken us like a master craftsman and he's brought together the different pieces of a building and has fitted us together. Do you get it? Sometimes we look around at others who are here. Different church. I know it doesn't happen here. And, and we think to ourselves, what are they doing here? This is a brick building. Who brought that piece of wood? Well, you know, if it wasn't for the wood, we wouldn't have the interior walls and we wouldn't have the ceiling. Do you get it? You know, God has a purpose, and we'll talk again about this more when we get to the body, but God has fitted us together perfectly. And when we look at somebody who's in the assembly and we think that they don't belong, you know, we look at the, you know, there's four pictures, you know, one of these pictures doesn't belong. We do that sometimes to the church. And when we do that, do you know what we're really saying? God really isn't the master craftsman that he is because he doesn't know what he's doing. He said that he's fitting us together, but he mustn't understand what this building is all about. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, be careful about what you are building on that foundation. If you are more concerned with the wood, hay, and stubble stuff, the foo-foo, the stuff that doesn't mean anything, then one day when you, your works are tried, and us collectively as a body works are tried, it's going to burn up and go away. There are a lot of assemblies of facilities that have no assemblies meeting them now. They stand empty. Would be to God that whether we have a facility or whatever, that this body, that this building, if you would, not the facility, no, this building will never stand empty. That there will be a presence in the community that has a desire to stand firm on the word of God in the truth of it interlocking with one another being fitted together also we're told in that passage in Ephesians chapter 2 not only are we being fitted together we are being built together in other words it's not haphazard but God has a plan God has a purpose he is building something we live in the day of the microwave. And so I want my popcorn not in five minutes from now. I want my popcorn in a minute or less. 
I know sometimes those bags make, they say three minutes, but get a powerful, get just get a more powerful microwave, and you don't have to worry about the three minutes. You can get that down to about two, okay? And and that's the way we live. We want this thing to happen now, and yet the oak tree grows what? Strong but slow. The pine grows quick, but I don't want. I got rid of them when we bought bought our house. I had four. They're gone. They're all gone. The pecans are all up. Pines are all gone. What happens to those pines in a, in a nice ice storm or a strong wind? That's exactly right. You know, when we have to go repair people's houses, 90% of the time, if not 100% of the time, it's not because an oak tree broke off and fell under the roof. It's because it was a pine tree, which grew quickly but had no root. An oak tree grows slow but grows strong. God is doing a work, and he's building a building. Now, the question is, that we all have to ask, is, do I firmly believe that God is, and I'm talking about Family Bible Church right now, bring it right down here, do you firmly believe that God is fitting together his local building right here? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about churches on the other street corners, and down, down, down. all I can talk about is us. If we believe that God raised us up for for a reason. Do you believe that God is putting together those whom he believes are necessary for the building of this building? And then do you believe that he's growing something? There has to be a commitment amongst the, the bricks. There has to be a contentment among the, the different material parts, but there has to be a commitment as well. What happens if you're building a building? Now, I understand that bricks don't have thought processes, okay? But give these bricks and give these building materials thought processes. What happens if I've got this, this stone wall being built up, and I go to lay this 6 by 6 timber across them to be my, the, the beginning of my roof? And as I lay the 6 by 6 on top of the brick, this piece of timber says, Ah! I don't want it. bricks. They're different than me. I don't do things like that. And, and, and this timber decides to just twist itself at least 30 to 60 degrees so it doesn't have to come in contact with the bricks. What happens to my roof? It's not very stable. What happens if some of the stones, if some of the bricks... They're like other bricks. But something happened within the bricks. And one of the bricks bumped the other brick. And the one brick was offended. And you know what happens when, you know, the Isaac Newton thing, right? The, every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. This is, you know. And so as you tap one brick and it moves this way, it does what? It hits the, the next brick, which moves. And that hits the what? Next brick. Have you ever been in a church where you've seen bricks move like that? Okay? You probably have. And and then all of a sudden there's this offense, chain reaction offense that's going on because that brick was in my space. Okay? And so somewhere along the line, a brick or two decides that they're what? They don't want to be a part of the building anymore. They don't want to be part of the wall. And, 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 and they take off. What happens to the structure at that moment? It weakens it. It weakens it greatly. 
And I think God chose to use the illustrations that he used for a reason. For us to understand that we need each other. And not just do we need each other, but God has put us together for a purpose, which we're going to look at next. And that purpose is greater than any single one of us and greater than any single one of your families. And when I as an individual or my family as a, as a, a group takes more priority than the collective body as a church, then the collective body as a church stands to fall. And it's not just here, it's in every assembly. And I think that's what begins to happen. We become individualistic. You know, I hate when I hear, and I know there's house churches out there, so I'm not trying to pick on house churches, okay? But I hate when I hear people, we can just worship God at home. Yes, you can. But God's word says you're not supposed to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And so much more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord approaching. Because the day is going to be filled with evil and wickedness. And when we come together, we're supposed to provoke one another to love and good work. We're supposed to be a building that is interlocked for a purpose. But when we as individuals think that we can do it all on our own, we destroy the purpose of God. God made us to be relational beings. And relational beings will have interlocking moments. And when we have interlocking moments, sometimes they are like horns interlocking moments. But that's not a bad thing either. Those are growing times. We just don't like growing times. I would that all my family life, right honey, was all peaceful and quiet. And it's not us, it's the kids. I mean, I know, it's, you know. If we could just have perfect kids like we were perfect kids when we grew up, it would be totally peaceful in my house. Now, you know that's a humor, okay? But if I deal with that at home, why shouldn't I expect the fact that there's going to be jostling at times in the church? And it's easy for us to talk to people who say there's a bunch of hypocrites in the church and say, well, yeah, but you know, but if you've eaten one bad apple, you're still going to eat apples, and we talk about that. But then when it comes to us, we like to throw away the bushel or jump out of the bushel or become part of a different building. And so I'm not saying that to be harsh, okay? I'm just saying it from my heart that we have to change the way we think. Repent. Change the way we think. Don't think like the world. This is not a club. I hate the club mentality. It's not a club. Now, I understand some of you know from the past, the previous church I was at, and I resigned, okay? And I moved over to, to plant a new work, okay? But my heart, and this is honestly before the Lord, my heart at that time was because there were undulations of, of doctrine that were going on, and there were tumults that were happening, and somebody needed to move forward to keep the peace. And to allow the building to be the building. That was my heart, and that's why I left. Not to destroy, but to continue to build. They can continue to build with the doctrine that they have. I can continue to build with what I believe is true doctrine. Does that make sense? I have no animosity for the other group. We disagree on what is potentially a core theology. We both believe in Jesus Christ and worship him. One day I might get to heaven and find out that they were right. One day they may get to heaven and find out that I was right. But more than likely, we're all going to get to heaven and find out that we were all wrong. <laughs> or it didn't matter. I, yeah, I mean, some things matter, but you're right. But I'm not perfect, which means that in my doctrine somewhere, I'm not what? Perfect. <laughs> I'm going to be wrong, you know? I don't, I, I'm not, I don't believe what I believe because I know I'm wrong. 
but because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fallible man, I could be wrong. But there needs to be a commitment to the body. And the only thing that will separate us is the desire not to divide, but a desire to multiply. Multiply. To do it right so that the kingdom of God is magnified and the body continues to grow. Well, what's the purpose? The purpose of the body is twofold. We saw there in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are to be a holy temple to the Lord. That talks about our character. That individually, I understand that as an individual that I'm called to be holy even as he is holy. But if I individually am called to be holy as he is holy, and Chris is called to be holy even as he is holy, and Norman is called to be holy even as he is holy, and Tom is to be called holy, and I'm not trying to miss the woman, but I'm just trying to go quickly through here. But we go through, and Brian, and so on and so forth, and Donald, and we're all individually called to be holy as he is holy. What should we be when we come together collectively? Holy. Holy, holy, holy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Good, Donald. And we ought to have as a desire as a body to be separated unto God. Not following again the fleshly practices and principles that we followed before we knew Jesus. And that's where Paul says in Ephesians 4, he says, But you have not so learned Christ, if so be that you've been found in him and been taught by him. But that you put off the old man and you put on the new. And so as a body, as a building, sorry, as a collective group, we are putting off the old and seeking to put on the, the new. To be a holy temple of the Lord where God is worshipped in the beauty of his holiness. And then Peter tells us in his that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices so that as we collectively seek to come together, individuals that we may be, different materials that we may be, but interlocking in our, in our, in our purpose to be a holy temple to God so that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now quickly... I've got a couple of verses that um, I will just read. I have here. Um, Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 reads, Therefore by him, that is Jesus Christ, let us continually offer up the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. The writer of Hebrews, who I think probably is Paul, declared that there were primary two sacrifices that we collectively will offer up to God. The first is praise, the praise of our lips, our words. When we gather together, our words should be such that give praise and glory to God. Now, we saw in the book of Nehemiah that collectively when we gather together, it's to read his word and to understand it as well. But that's to give praise to God as well, because we're giving praise to God through the reading of his Word and the understanding of his word. And we should be giving praise to God for who he is and what he has done. So when we gather together, it's to worship. It's to worship God for who he is and what he's done. But secondly, it said as well there, the other sacrifice was to do good and to share for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. And it's really interesting that in that, the words in the Greek there, to do good, was the, was the word, not like we would think, like agathos, and I know some of you know the Greek and you'd understand agathos, means good or beautiful, okay? It's not that word. Rather, it's the word for what we would use as a benevolence fund. 
to be benevolent. And the word to share is then in the same light financially to share, to be involved in. And so this doesn't mean to do good and to share your testimony, like when we have a testimony time. You know, and it doesn't mean go help the old lady across the street, you know, like the, 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 the Boy Scouts do. But rather it means to take your wallet, to take your wallet for Jesus Christ and to open it up like they did, the early church did in Acts chapter 4, and that no one saw that anything was their own, but rather they had it as a common good for the, for the assembly, for the collective gathering of, of the saints. And so if somebody else in that building, if you would, in that collective body had a need, that they would sell property, they would sell homes, so it could be distributed to the needs of the church. That's what it means. And so we gather together to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God, to do something that we couldn't do individually, but collectively we could do. The Gideons, it's exciting having you here today, Dormy, it really is. But it would be hard for, who were the two guys that you told me started off? I, I wanted to retain their names and I forgot them already. Hill, that's right, Samuel Hill. Samuel Hill and Mr. Nicholson. When they gathered together, and they, they started to have this vision from God, to, to put Bibles in the hotels and different places that they've been. If they sought to do it individually, they could accomplish things, but they could not accomplish the thing that God started to grow from that gathering. Does that make sense? And now as a collective group called the Gideons, I understand they're not a church, but they are a ministry within churches, okay? They can accomplish something that a bunch of individuals by themselves couldn't accomplish. And by me giving multiples of five dollars to them i can get a bible placed in bangkok if you would now i don't know where my bible is necessarily going to go but let's say there's a 10 bibles in bangkok because i gave 50 dollars but i've never been to bangkok nor will i probably ever be in bangkok does that make sense so in and of myself i couldn't do it well put it bring bring it back now to our little local assembly our little local building we support missionaries Devon. I mean, some of you know the budget. Some of you kind of ignore the budget. But Full Circle Refuge gets 10% of our offering. Just as we believe in tithing, and we teach tithing minimum as a minimum to, to you as individuals and families, as a collective body, we believe in tithing. And so when we set together our budget way back when the when assembly started, we said that 10% was going to go minimum. 10% minimum is going to the work of the Lord, not to me. It's going to go to the Lord. And so Devon, Full Circle Refuge, gets 10%. So last last month, when we had that special gift come in for $20,000, and then we challenged you all to, to give so we can be looking at this facility that we're going to, that hopefully we can put an offer on, okay? Full Circle Refuge was really blessed. You know, there was a part of me that went, oh, well, hmm. Did we really think about that back at the original? I mean, clearly this is a special offering, and so that doesn't apply. No. No. Collectively, as a body, we can accomplish something that individually we can never accomplish. Does that make sense? And so we have to see that when we come together with our spiritual sacrifices, they are sacrifices. A sacrifice is when you give something up. And I don't know any sacrifice that was ever on an altar that didn't hurt. Does it make sense? That's why it's called a what? A 
a sacrifice. And so we've called upon you that I know we're the building, but we have the potential for a building, a facility for us to use. God has opened it up, and we've called upon you all as well to sacrifice with us as leadership. We know that we we have to lead in that sacrifice as well. But as a body, we have to be willing to spiritually sacrifice, open up the wallets. And I'm not saying so I can get paid and I, you know, we have the budget and I only get paid what I get paid. So it's not like I'm getting it. But if we want to accomplish things, if we want to support more missions and we want to be involved in things, that takes a what? A sacrifice. A sacrifice. And so what are we as a building, as a collective grouping of saints, if you would, willing to do? What are you building your life upon? Now, you may be here today, and I know every one of you, okay? And now I know Norman as well. And uh, I say, okay, they're saved. I don't know that, though. And you don't know for me. And I put out to you, what are you building your life on? Do you have the foundation of Jesus Christ? If, it's not, if Jesus Christ is not your foundation, that today is the day of your salvation, you need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, okay? But we as a body, as a building, need to have that as our foundation. Are you content with the other blocks? Now, I know you may think they're blockheads, but are you content with the other blockheads? Okay? Are you content with the other blocks that you're being fitted together with? And not just content, but are you committed to the other blocks? Listen, if we're not committed to one another, this building will not stand. Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. And so we need to be committed to one another. Is your vision for the gathering of the saints the same as Christ's? Is your, is your vision for us to gather together to worship Him and to offer up spiritual sacrifices? And finally, are you here to join with other believers to worship God and offer up those spiritual sacrifices with your words and with your wallets? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We know that it's true. We know that it's quick. We know that it's powerful. We know that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, sometimes your teaching from your word um, causes us to struggle. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us as a building to be committed to one another. Lord, that we would truly look to you as the master craftsman, as the one who is fitting us together as you see fit, and that you are building us together for a purpose. And Lord, that we would be committed to what you were doing. That you would be glorified. That your kingdom would be expanded. Lord, I think of the, the fields that are out there that are white unto harvest. They just lack laborers. Lord, send us. Empower us. Embolden us. May your word go forth and then bring forth fruit for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.